You ain't heard nothing yet. Get around, little bitch. What am I going to do? Frankly, my dear, I'm going to make him an offer. You talking to me? Stay out of the train! I don't know who you are. Why so sick? When I'm good, I'm very good. Simple. But when I'm bad, I'm better. He's the Call me Mr. Boy's best friend. Oh, you have no style. You can bark all day, little dog. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Hello, and welcome back to the Tinsel Factory. My name is Caitlin, and I'm your host. Hope everybody had a great week. I helped throw another baby shower for someone at the day job, saw friends, played board games, and now I'm back in the chair a day early for another episode. This week on Movie Theater Movie Reviews, we've got Priscilla and Next Goal Wins. First, Priscilla, I mean, with this movie, it's very difficult It's a very difficult film to watch and not be acutely aware that you're watching a recreation of a grown man grooming a teenage girl. But I did take solace in the fact that the actors playing Priscilla and Elvis are the same age. This film is Sofia Coppola at her most Sofia Coppola, complete with lengthy montages and all the things you expect from her kind of a film. I was icked out the entire time and coming off of a week of Shirley Temple clips did not help matters. But I can't stop thinking about this movie so I guess it was good I'm not the biggest Sofia Coppola fan not a big montage person but I it was good it was scarring but it was good then we've got Next Goal Wins, which is Taika Waititi's follow-up to the very meh Thor Love and Thunder I did like this film because I do really like Taika Waititi's humor but save for the last 20 minutes or so of this movie, the whole thing kind of feels tired. You do kind of forget about the first bits of the movie because the last 20 minutes are so good. But Michael Fassbender's portrayal as a soccer coach in this, he just feels like he's phoning it in. And some of that, yes, was the character, but he just kind of seemed indifferent. And at times you're like, I don't think he wants to be here. But yeah, it's it's better than Thor. It's a far cry from Jojo Rabbit or what we do in the shadows. So yeah, a little bit of a little bit of a letdown. I still liked it, but it was a little bit of a letdown. Strike updates. Well, <laughs> Finally, after six months or almost six months, the strike is over. All the strikes, or at least the showbiz ones. After 118 days, SAG-AFTRA and the AMPTP have made a tentative agreement. The terms have not been made public yet, but we'll get all into that in a few weeks when we do the yearly wrap-up. I think that'll just be like a, it'll be a very big strike, uh, (laughs) strike-centric episode so we'll save it for that but the strikes are over in Hollywood for now at least show business wise and now hopefully everyone gets a little bit of work in before the holidays and now on to this week's topic this week a child star who had to pave the way for the rest of them Jackie Coogan with that let's take our places it's showtime
He was told his career would be over if he stood in front of the judge and told the world what his parents had done to him. But Jackie knew he was right, and standing up for himself would protect thousands of child actors for generations to come. John Leslie Coogan Jr. was born on October 26, 1914, the son of John Sr. and Lillian, who were both vaudeville performers. Jackie's early years were spent on the road with his parents, and he had been performing on the stage since he was an infant. When Jackie was four, he began doing a little shimmy number on stage, which was a dance normally reserved for scantily clad ladies. Seeing a four-year-old do this shocked, then delighted audiences. When performing at the Orpheum Theater in Los Angeles, a very famous former vaudeville performer turned movie star was in the audience and took notice of Jackie. This movie star was in the process of casting his next film and thought that the four-year-old might just be the kid he was looking for. Weeks later, while dining at the Alexandria Hotel in Los Angeles, Charlie Chaplin, having not been able to get Jackie out of his mind, approached his parents and asked for a few minutes alone with Jackie. Because it was the 1910s and Chaplin was one of the most famous men in the world, they agreed. Chaplin and Jackie spent the next hour and a half talking and playing on the carpet in the lobby of the hotel. This carpet was known in Hollywood as the Million Dollar Carpet because so many big movie deals had been made on it, and it turned out that this meeting would be no exception. Jackie's expressive, quintessential little kid face, along with his big dark eyes, made him an ideal candidate for Chaplin's next film. It took another few weeks in the panic that another studio had hired Jackie for Chaplin to actually pull the trigger and hire him as the titular kid in The Kid. When Chaplin asked Jackie's father about casting him, Jack replied, quote, Of course you can have the little punk. Jack was on the set of The Kid quite often. Once, when Jackie needed to cry on cue but was being a happy, goofy little kid, he took his son aside and told him that if he didn't get his act together, he'd be taken from the set and put in the workhouse, just like Chaplin's character in the film. Needless to say, that worked. Jackie cried. Scene shot. Chaplin took a shine to the boy during production. He was in Natural Mimic, which was one of Charlie's favorite kind of actors, and he would keep the energetic boy occupied between takes with walks through nearby orange groves and playing baseball. When the kid was finally released in 1921, Jackie was six and was hailed in the press as a brilliant newcomer and a major discovery for Chaplin. Jackie and Chaplin would be close for decades to come, and when Jackie came to him for help in a moment of need, he found it from Chaplin. The Coogans realized that they had a little star on their hands and set out to capitalize on it. In rapid succession, Jackie appeared in Oliver Twist from 1922, Circus Days, and Long Live the King, both 1923, amongst others. Most of the films, since they were silent and therefore had no dialogue, were in part produced and sometimes even written by Jackie's father. They weren't great as far as quality goes, but because of Jackie's presence in them, they made money. In each film, Jackie was dressed similarly, if not identically, to what he'd worn in The Kid and often played orphans or just general destitute child. Nearly two decades before Shirley Temple, Jackie Coogan actually became the first internationally known child actor, which is what I said last week. You live, you learn. I knew this kid made money. I had no idea how popular he'd been in his day. But like Temple, Jackie was featured in newsreels, newspapers, magazines, and whatever else he could be featured on or in. 
People also had that weird obsession with Jackie they would later have with Shirley, wanting to know what he ate, where he lived, what toys he had, how his parents raised him. You know, just a bunch of things that are nobody's business when it pertains to a literal child. Jackie was basically the little prince of Hollywood and was either unaware or didn't care about the level of fame he'd attained. When interviewed, he'd state that when he grew up, he didn't particularly want to become an actor or continue to be an actor. He said he'd rather sell clothes or become a cameraman. And of course, with this fame meant it wasn't long before Jackie began making product endorsements. Jackie had a line of clothing, a doll, freaking pencils, lunchboxes, and even wagons. He and his parents received royalties for all of this as well. And according to the book, Jackie Coogan, American's First Child Superstar, the family got $2,000 every week from his clothing line and 100 k flat from the Jackie Coogan dolls. A toy company that made erector sets paid Jackie $50,000 a year to be its spokesperson. In today money, this kid was pulling in about 36k a week with the clothes, 1.8 million with the dolls, and $900,000 for just a picture of him to run in print ads, and that wasn't even everything they'd slapped his name or likeness on. This is important for what his mother would claim about his earnings later on. This money, of course, made the family incredibly wealthy, and you guessed it, Jackie had no idea. By this point, Lillian, Jackie's mother, had retired from the business, though her husband continued to act. Jackie, being his son, actually got him more work. Lillian was overheard stating on multiple occasions that she was the goose that laid the golden egg. To her, that was a compliment, I suppose. So where was all this money going that Jackie was allegedly making? Well, Jack put his son's money into a corporation called Jackie Coogan Productions. Jackie had made roughly $1.2 million from his work on his first four films in addition to all those endorsements. Jackie Coogan Productions purchased farmland, oil wells, business property, automobile dealerships, and even a very large home for the family. Each member of the family also received a bulbous weekly salary. The only person who didn't get a salary was, you guessed it, Jackie himself. But his parents had fur coats, fancy jewelry, and a quote-unquote fleet of Rolls Royces. They told Jackie that his money was in a trust fund that he'd get when he turned 21. Jackie, by his own statement in an interview, didn't start any kind of formal education until he was seven. From the sounds of it, his parents hadn't even bothered to try and teach this child how to read. No wonder he had no clue that he was famous or any idea of what money was. He thought all little boys lived like this. Jackie was so famous by the time he was seven that his family would have to memorize the exits of every place they took their son, as it wouldn't take very long for people to recognize him and ultimately swarm him. Once while shopping during a large sale with his mother, 3,000 people reportedly swarmed him, and the police had to be called to get the absolutely terrified boy out of the store. Lillian, most historians agree, did not like being known as Jackie Coogan's mother, despite by her own account, calling herself the goose that laid the golden egg. I mean, actors, even former ones, tend not to like to have the spotlight shine on somebody else. So she found a way to get her own kind of attention, calling herself a quote-unquote expert in raising a child actor, and she was even quoted in the press as such. She also wrote articles, allegedly she wrote them anyway, on the best ways to raise a child star. She very likely fabricated a good chunk of this, just to make herself look good. 
For example, in one article when laying out a typical day for her son, she called Jackie a voracious reader and claimed that he was only on set and or working for about two hours a day and everything else was just him being a tiny little boy doing little boy things. If you remember from like two minutes ago, Jackie had claimed at this time that he could not read, so there's no way he was reading. And in an era before child labor laws and child actor education regulations were in place, they were for sure spending more than two hours on a film set. Modern children spend more than two hours on a film set. Plus, he had near daily public appearances that were suspiciously absent from Lillian's account of her son's day. One thing Jackie's parents did arguably get right was downplaying how famous he was to him, ironically enough. As a result, everyone that came across him described the boy as well-mannered and polite. He was also a hyperactive child, loving to play sports and riding his own pony. After signing a million-dollar five-year contract with Metro-Goldwyn Pictures in 1924 that included a half-million-dollar signing bonus for leaving First National Pictures, Jackie's parents gave the now 10-year-old child a $6.50-a-week quote-unquote allowance. This was well above the average allowance of the average American child, but of course was a pittance compared to what he was worth. That was still kept from him. Which, again, you know, is fine. I totally get not wanting a 10-year-old with a conflated ego in your house, if not for the other shady shit they ended up doing and were actively doing at this time. Jack would also trick his son out of the money he saved on occasion, trying to teach him, quote, the value of a dollar, which would have repercussions for Jackie later in life because they weren't lessons at all. They were just Jack kind of being vicious. For example, so the legend goes, once his father, business manager, and four men from MGM took Jackie to lunch at a restaurant across the street from the studio. Jackie liked having his extra allowance money in coins in a little cigar box, and he liked to play with them and count them. And by his count, at this point, Jackie had 4670 in coins, which he would tell people proudly on the set, so it was common knowledge how much money Jackie had on him. When the bill came, Jackie and his dad flipped a coin. Jackie lost, which meant he had to pay for lunch for these six grown men. The waitress, who was in on the ruse, brought a bill to the table that totaled $47, knowing Jackie would be short. After they all had a great big laugh, they told him that the bill was in fact only $7. Jackie allegedly handed his $46.70 to his father, stating that he was done with money, it was nothing but trouble. And Jack seemed to take that statement to heart. Like Shirley Temple, Jackie Coogan was also kept away from children his own age, which seemed to be a practice at this time for some reason. I couldn't find like a good reason or a concrete reason, but if I were to guess, and I feel like this is a pretty strong guess, they didn't want the kids to become aware that they were kind of being exploited in some form because children are notoriously honest with each other. And if it got to like these these child actor kids that there's like a life where they could just be normal, happy-go-lucky kids and not have to work or hang out with grown ups all day they could hang out with kids their own age and just be a normal kid and go to school well Jackie wouldn't like school he hated school but you know just you know kid stuff versus like basically being a tiny adult most kids would probably choose that alternative let's be honest and the worst thing for a studio is a very famous child actor that doesn't want to child act anymore because there goes their uh to use their words or his mother's words the golden goose they don't want to lose it so they just isolate the kids so they're like oh no this is totally normal behavior is totally normal things that these kids go through. 
There's also the fear that famous children could be kidnapped, which given the tizzy everybody got into every time they saw these children, that also I could see. At MGM, Jackie starred in films like Little Robinson Caruso, The Ragman, and Buttons. Jackie also became a former ambassador at the age of 10. Traveling the world getting physical donations, Jack said no money donations if Jackie was to do this, to help refugees and orphans that had been displaced. Everywhere he went, including a meeting with the Pope, Jackie was swarmed by fans. This tour resulted in a million dollars of goods to be distributed by the Near East Relief Fund. Just before turning 12 in 1926, Jackie cut off his signature shaggy blonde hair. The chop was national news, and MGM shot it as a part of the film Johnny Get Your Hair Cut. Like Samson before him, cutting off his hair seemed to affect Jackie's career prospects. His last two films for MGM didn't do that well, leading Jack to decide that his son needed a break from the pictures. It definitely had nothing to do with the fact that Jack had requested too high fees for his son, so the head of the studio decided to get rid of Jackie and also forbade partner companies from working with him, effectively blackballing the child from working. Jackie was enrolled at the exclusive Urban Military Academy for middle school. On his first day, he was photographed in his military uniform and the press bragged that since he'd had a private tutor all his life, he had a quote-unquote scholastic edge over his peers. In reality, Jackie was actually quite a poor student, likely suffering from ADHD and would eventually drop out of college due to poor grades. While at school, John's business manager's wife filed for divorce, claiming that Lillian was having an affair with her husband. She wanted the divorce and also $750,000 from Jackie, not from the company, specifically from Jackie Coogan. Makes perfect sense. This, of course, put Jackie, who was away at school and who had nothing to do with the marriage of two random adults, in the middle of the drama. Lillian denied the affair, and eventually the suit against Jackie was dropped because it was freaking crazy. Jack also decided that if Jackie wasn't going to be in the pictures, he still needed to be performing in some capacity. He set up a father-son review called Introducing Dad that featured a joke that Jackie's work was what was supporting the family, which of course was not a joke that was actually true. They performed the show in Europe before taking it to the States, where Jackie was making a reported $5,600 a week, despite the fact that the show was described by one critic as, quote, a dismal flop. Jackie Coogan Productions was stable despite the Great Depression, which hit in 1929. The business manager, who may or may not have been having a thing with Lillian, was actually very good at investing Jackie's money. Sound pictures were becoming all the rage at this time, and Jackie was no longer a cute little kid, merely a regular-looking teen. As a result, the acting work was drying up, but the company his father had put all the money into was still generating income at this time. Jackie was offered the role of Tom Sawyer in Tom Sawyer from 1930 by Paramount Pictures, which was Jackie's first talkie. The studio was so impressed by his performance that they had him play Tom again in Huckleberry Finn from 1931. Jackie became close friends with two of the boys on the films, Junior Durkin, who played Huck, and Dick Winslow, who played Joe Harper. Jackie would later state that, at age 16, these were his first close friendships with people his own age. Just before turning 21, but after flunking out of college, Jack bought huh, his son an early birthday present, a Ford Coupe. 
The day before his birthday party, Jackie, his father, Durkin, and two others had gone down to Mexico to do some dove hunting. Jack was driving the car back to the family ranch near the border and was allegedly going too fast, causing the car to go over a cliff and roll several times. Jackie was convinced he survived because he was holding the bag of dead doves and they cushioned him in the crash. Jackie was that car crash's only survivor. Control of Jackie Kukum Productions was then given to Arthur Bernstein, the business manager, who sold the ranch and moved the Coogans into a bigger house in the San Fernando Valley. A year later, he married Lillian to the shock of no one. Jackie couldn't afford to live alone, his promised money did not appear when he turned 21, and his allowance had actually been cut off when he turned 21. He was briefly engaged, but the relationship ended. It took him marrying actress Betty Grable in 1937 when he was 23 for him to finally go after his money. What happened next set the precedent for every child actor's finances going forward, or almost all of them. In 1935, Jackie had asked Arthur if he could see the accounting papers from Jackie Coogan Productions. Arthur had refused and sent him away. On April 11, 1938, Jackie appeared in court to sue his mother and stepfather for withholding the $4 million in earnings that he'd been told had been put in a trust fund for him. Jackie was dead broke at this time and had to ask Charlie Chaplin for help. Depending on the source, he gave Jackie either $1,000 or $10,000 to help him out. Despite Lillian loudly calling her daughter-in-law a gold digger and her son a pauper, the court of public opinion was very much on Jackie's side. Despite this, Jackie had ruined his professional reputation by filing the lawsuit. His agent told him his career was quote-unquote dead and nobody in Hollywood would touch him. Louis B. Mayer, his former boss, told him quote, no red-blooded American boy sues his mother. While, of course, child actors suing their parents is far more normal now, that is thanks for what Jackie Coogan did back in the 30s. During the lawsuit, it came out that in Jack Coogan's will, which was written when Jackie was 12, so before the affair came out, that all the family money would go to Lillian if he died first. The two had divorced, but Jack had never updated his will, or if he did, um, an updated one was never found. It turned out that the trust fund Jackie had been told he had likely never existed. The judge demanded that Lillian and Arthur produce an accounting of Jackie's alleged $4 million. They hid in their mansion Jackie had bought them and pretended to be out of town for several days. A sheriff was eventually able to serve them with a subpoena and they were forced to appear in court. On the witness stand, Lillian claimed Jackie's earnings were closer to $1.2 million, not four, which of course doesn't math because I just took you through a whole bunch of that. When asked whether she was entitled to keep all of her son's money for herself, Lillian replied, quote, I believe that is the law. She also told the court that Jackie was, quote, a very bad boy who couldn't handle money. She also claimed Jack had never told Jackie there was a trust fund. Too bad there was a ton of articles quoting the couple stating otherwise. The judge was shocked at the greed of Jackie's mother and stepfather, but it turned out when it came with the law, she was kind of correct. The law at the time stated that children were the quote-unquote property of their parents, and any money the children earned belonged to the parents. It was then discovered that there were many debts against the Jackie Coogan Corporation at this point. Even if Jackie had been able to fight the existing law and get his money, there would be basically nothing left after the debts were paid off, so he was kind of screwed no matter what. After a year-long legal battle, Jackie was awarded $126,000, which was spent quickly by the 25-year-old who'd never actually been taught how to handle his money. 
He'd also developed a nasty drinking habit to deal with the psychological damage of knowing his parents squandered his money. Betty divorced Jackie in 1939 after he sold their wedding gifts and some furniture to buy a car. He was forced to move back in with his mother and stepfather and sleep in his childhood bedroom in a home his money bought. Jackie would never be the major sensation like he'd been as a child actor, but he would pretty steadily work on television throughout the 50s and even played a character that I'm pretty sure most of you know. Jackie Coogan is the original Uncle Fester in the Addams Family TV show from the 1960s. On the personal life side, he married three more times and had four children. Jackie Coogan died at the age of 69 of a heart attack on March 1st, 1984. His Adams Family co-star John Astin delivered the eulogy at his funeral before Jackie was laid to rest at Holy Cross Cemetery in Culver City. While few people know about his life or career, Jackie's largest contribution to the entertainment industry is still felt by pretty much every child actor in Tinseltown. The Child Actors Bill, also commonly known as the Coogan Act, became a law in 1939 to protect the earnings of child actors. The Coogan Act requires that a minimum of 15% of a child's earnings be placed into a fund by the employer that the parents can't touch. This account is commonly referred to as a Coogan account. The bill also specified a child actor schooling, work hours, and time off. In California, starting on January 1st, 2000, changes in laws confirmed that earnings of minors in the entertainment industry are the property of the minor, not their parents. And since a minor cannot legally control their own money, California law governs their earnings and creates a fiduciary relationship between the parent and the child. Bills similar to the Coogan Act are in effect in addition to California, New York, Illinois, Louisiana, and New Mexico. And there are many loopholes in the law, unfortunately. So many a stage mother or stage father has still managed to find ways around it, like opening the account in a state that doesn't have these laws. Nevertheless, it exists to protect other child stars from ending up the way Jackie Coogan did. A child once worth millions who, due to the greed of their parents, ended up broke. While nearly all of Jackie's films are lost or incredibly difficult to find, the legacy of Jackie Coogan endures. Had it not been for Jackie, hundreds of child actors would have likely had their money squandered by greedy stage parents. Jackie going against the system and the decorum of the era assured their financial futures. That's going to do it for this week. If there's anything you'd like me to cover in the future, please reach out on social media, where I also post photos for each episode at Tinsel Factory Pod on Instagram, on Facebook at the Tinsel Factory, or you can always email me at tinselfactorypod at gmail.com. I've got a letterbox account which features my watch list, film diary, and recommended viewing for this episode. You can check it out at the link in the show notes. I'm relying on word of mouth to get this podcast out there. So if you could please rate, review, and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast, that would be a huge help. In order to keep making the podcast, I've also set up a support page, the link of which you can find in the show notes. If you'd like to help out in any way, I'd very much appreciate it. I've also got the Buy Me a Coffee, where you buy me a coffee. I just had coffee at home today because I'm recording on a Friday because I'm going to Universal Studios tomorrow with my friend. So I would like to not have to get up early and do this. Uh, I've also got merch. Check it out. The link in the show notes. 
Next week, we cover the life and career of one of the first child actors to transition from a child star to an adult one and have something very few actors do, a long career. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, that's a wrap. 